Right, so we're going to be reading from Matthew's Gospel. As Neil said, it is a series on the Beatitudes, on the teaching of Jesus. We might like to read it together. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm going to read the first uh, 12 verses of chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel, and then I'm going to speak particularly on verse 9. So here we go. Now when he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, now you can join in if you like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So those are the Beatitudes. That's the teach- some of the teaching of Jesus. And I'm going to speak on blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So blessed are the peacemakers. Well, it got me thinking about what we would understand as being a troublemaker. What might a troublemaker be? Because I think if we can understand a troublemaker, it might help us to understand what a peacemaker is. So a troublemaker. So I had a look uh, on the internet at some stories of some soaps. I don't know if you're into watching soaps, but you might be. I don't know. So the first one that I saw was from the soap Coronation Street. And I read this, Steph implores Jamie not to, I've no idea who these people are by the way, Steph implores Jamie not to tarnish their past relationship by publishing the photos. So it sounds as if Jamie's a bit of a troublemaker as he wants to publish some kind of photos. I'll leave that to your imagination. The next one is from EastEnders. Shirley and Buster are nervous on the day of the custody case, getting into a row with Mick. When Mick lets slip about Shabnam taking Jade to the park without permission, Shirley is triumphant, knowing she can use it against her. So it sounds as if this Shirley character is there to stir up a bit of trouble. And the third one is from another soap. It's a Hindi soap. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce this, but it's Yehai Mohabatain, which actually means this is love. Ashok will tell Raman that his wife is out on a date with him. Ashok will mention that the two are sharing some romantic time, but it was his duty to inform the rightful husband about his wife's fling. Well, it sounds to me again as if Ashok is a bit of a troublemaker there to stir up trouble. So those are some examples of what it might mean to be a troublemaker. We want to look at, of course, being a peacemaker. But we have to say there are some obstacles to being a peacemaker. That's the first thing I want to look at. What are the obstacles to being a peacemaker? Well, I think in some ways it's very simple. The problem lies in the human heart. 
Uh, people like to try to take the moral teaching of Jesus, you know, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, and, and so on and so forth, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the meek. And people say, wouldn't it be nice if we could live like that? But the problem is, it's impossible. It's impossible naturally to live like that. Why? Well, the reason is it's because of the state of the human heart. Jesus said this, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. So the obstacle to being a peacemaker is what's inside the human heart, the natural state of the human heart. So it's the human heart that needs changing. It's something essential within us that needs to be changed, and it needs to be changed in a radical manner. Otherwise, it will be impossible to be the kind of peacemaker that Jesus is talking about here. Jesus says, you must be born again. That's how radical this change has got to be. You must be born again. Something has to happen deep inside the very core, the very essence of who you are. And Jesus describes it as being born again. The Apostle James writes this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. To me, it seems to be almost a description of much of the history of the human race. James also says this about what's in the human heart. He says, But no man can tame the tongue. No man can tame the tongue. You can tame all kinds of other creatures in the world, but not the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Let me show you a picture here. There we have Herr Hitler there. And James says this, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. So out of what was in that man's heart, he spoke. And it's interesting that we use the word inflammatory speech. Something that sets on fire, that inflames a situation. Thank you. So basically, the obstacle to being a peacemaker is that which is inside the human heart. The natural state of the human heart. And if we think actually that all it needs is a makeover, then we're mistaken. It needs more than a makeover. It needs something radical to happen within us. So let's look at the next point, which is this. How can I be a peacemaker? If we recognize, yes, there are obstacles to being a peacemaker, and if we're honest with ourselves, and we look at our, the state of our natural heart, then, and we look at the world outside us, we can see, well, there isn't much peacemaking going on in the world. How can I be a peacemaker? It's the second thing I want to look at. Well, to be a peacemaker, you first have to have peace with God. That's of primary importance. The greatest peace to be had is this. It's peace with God. Without the peace of God, there can be no lasting peace in the world at all. Peacemakers have to know the peace of God. Peacemakers have to have peace with God. It's essential. You can't give what you don't have. If I have my wallet here and I've got no money in it, I can't give you any. Because I haven't got it. In order to, have, to be a peacemaker, you have to know the peace of God. Well, how do we experience the peace of God? Well, we've been singing about it this morning. The Apostle Paul writes, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And this is the good news of the Christian gospel. Our sin separates us from God. That which is within our natural heart. That which is the natural state of who we are. Needs to change. And it separates us from God. And the good news of Christianity is this. It's not by human effort. It's not by me striving, striving, striving all my life. It's not by by me obeying a set of high moral rules that's going to change my heart. No, it's, it's got to be profounder than that. That which separates me from the life of God, from having the life of God come into me, is called sin. And Jesus came in order to take that upon himself on the cross. Your sins, the Bible says, has made a separation between you and God. And Jesus came to take that sin upon himself to connect us with God so that we could have peace with God and that something of the very nature and the very life of God himself should come into our heart. It's a miraculous thing. An inner transformation results in an outward change of behavior. But first, you have to have the inner transformation. How many of us, I guess, have tried to make New Year resolutions and failed before the end of January, before the end of... I mean, I go to the gym, and I see the New Year resolutions in January that are being made. Why? Where do I see them? I see them because the gym is packed. People have made New Year resolutions. I'm going to get fit. I'm going to trim down. I'm going to do this, that, and the other. Come February, it's deserted again. You know, it's just the human heart. It's not enough to make resolutions, and I'm not mocking that either. If you make resolutions, fine. But it won't essentially change who you are. And it has to be an inner transformation. Let me give you a couple examples. One is from a guy who came and spoke here. I think it might have been last year. Was it last year, Daryl? He came last year, and uh, he told his story. Now, he was a violent, angry young man. He was addicted to heroin. He was involved in all sorts of crime, including, including robberies and burglaries. And eventually, he was caught, and he was sent into prison. And while he was in prison, he, attended a, he was invited to attend an alpha course. Now, an alpha course teaches about the basics of Christianity. Now, the only reason he went was because he could get out of his cell, and it was free tea and biscuits. Anyway, he went along. And as he went along, he was still full of anger, and he was angry at the people who were delivering the course, but there was something about their life and the way they treated him that stuck within him, and therefore he listened to their message a bit more carefully. And then one day, he writes this. He said, all right, God, I believe... By the way, he said this littered with expletives, but he's omitted them in his book. He says, all right, God, I believe. Jesus, I believe you took my sentence, that you died for me. I'm tired of feeling worthless, being an addict and being angry all the time. Take away all my anger. Take my drug addiction. And take away all this mess that I've made. If you do that for me, then I'll do what you want me to do for the rest of my life. And then he says, after he made that prayer... He says, nothing happened. Nothing happened. So he went to bed, fell asleep, got up in the morning, and then he writes this. I went over to the sink to start getting washed and shaved when a new feeling started to come over me. At first, it was a nice warm feeling. I was happy, but had no idea why. And the feeling kept on intensifying. I'd had pretty much every drug going, 
but what I was feeling was more powerful than any of them. It was as if someone had unscrewed the top of my head and poured freezing cold water in. I could feel it running through me, washing everything bad away, all the anger and guilt and frustration. I looked at myself in the mirror and almost didn't recognize my own reflection. I was smiling and happy. All the anger that used to feel like a cancer eating me from the inside out had gone. I couldn't fully explain how all this was happening, but I knew God had heard my prayer. I knew he had forgiven me. I knew I had been given a second chance and that I was new inside. Something happened to that young man in his prison cell. It was an inner transformation. He was born again. Now, I'm sure if I asked people in the auditorium to stand up and relate their story, we might hear something maybe not quite so dramatic, but something similar. So, for example, as a 20-year-old, I can remember hearing and being challenged by thinking about who Jesus really is. For me, that was a profound challenge in my life because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, that wasn't what I believed. I believed you could, it didn't really matter what you believed. You could go this route, that route, the other route. It didn't really matter. So Jesus, what Jesus said was no No one can come to the Father except through me. And in my life as a 20-year-old, that was a huge thing to think about. It was a huge challenge. And it was quite a stark challenge for me. The stark challenge was this. Either Jesus is telling the truth or he's a liar. He's just some fake. For me, it was a bigger leap of faith to believe that he was a liar than to believe that he was telling the truth. So I thought, well, if I just can't believe he was a liar. But I do believe that he was telling the truth. And if he's telling the truth, then I need to do something about it. And as a 20-year-old, at that moment, for me, I had the profoundest sense of the presence of God himself. Strange, I know. Odd, I know. But there you go. I can only say what I experienced. I had a deep, profound sense of the tangible presence of God at that moment. And I was filled, as I've never been filled before, with the love and peace of God. It was so tangible, you could almost just touch it. I was born again. There was an inner transformation that happened. And the Apostle Paul says this, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So it's because the Holy Spirit comes into our life that we become born again and that something of the life of God himself comes into our life. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will then be called the children of God. That happens because the Spirit of God comes into our life when we are born again. When we receive and acknowledge who Jesus is and what he's done, then something profound happens in our life that can never happen any other way. It's a deep inner transformation, and it changed my whole thinking. It changed my whole perception of life. It changed my whole worldview. It changed my speech. It changed my actions. I know there is much work still to be done, but the transformation has begun. And if you have been born again, the transformation has begun in your life. And Jesus calls you to be a peacemaker. The inner transformation has begun. And not only that, but God is going to carry it on until that great day. So the work that God has begun in you, that transforming that he has begun in you by the power of his spirit, because you are now a new creation. 
And because you're a new creation, new things can begin to happen in your life. And one of those is you're called by Jesus to be a peacemaker. And as you fulfill that role, Jesus says you will be blessed. Blessed are the peacemakers. You know, if you're a troublemaker, you're not blessed. In fact, the opposite is true. You're cursed. If you're a troublemaker, no good comes out of it. And we all can fall into that little trap of just that little tittle-tattle, just, you know, little dig somewhere. We can all fall into that trap. But Jesus says, no, I want you to be a peacemaker, and I've put my spirit within you in order to give you something of my qualities, something of who I am, so that God himself can be revealed to the world. See, that's the purpose of the Beatitudes in the end, that the kingdom will come, that the will of God will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that the glory of God will be seen on planet earth, starting maybe here in High Wickham, eh? Isn't that good news? Praise the Lord. So, you know, there are obstacles to being a peacemaker, and the obstacles are what lies in the human heart, the natural state of the human heart. It is antagonistic towards God. And therefore, how can I be a peacemaker? You must be born again. You must have these encounters with God where you accept who He is and you receive Him into your life and you start to follow Him. What does it mean then, finally, final point, but maybe the longest one, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? Well, it's interesting that this beatitude comes after the other one where it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Then blessed are the peacemakers. So what it doesn't mean is it doesn't mean peace at any price. Or I'm just an easygoing person. Let's have a look at this next picture as Jill's flicking through them. The last one, you thought it was Charles de Gaulle, but it's not Charles de Gaulle. It's somebody else. It doesn't mean peace at any price. So anyway, that's a clue as to who this picture might be of. Any ideas? Yeah, thank you. Well done. Neville Chamberlain. Neville Chamberlain used to be the Prime Minister of the UK, and uh, he went to Germany, and he went to Munich in 1938, September 1938, and he came back famously with this piece of, with this piece of paper, and he said, peace for our time. Uh, what he d- uh, agreed to do, not just him, but some of the other countries that agreed that the Nazis could invade Czechoslovakia and annex part of the country without the agreement of the Czech people. And uh, he said, peace for our time. So we, we realized that within a year there was a world war and there was no peace. So being a peacemaker does not mean peace at any price or being easygoing. It's very interesting. <clears throat> I've been thinking about this this week. How observant Jesus was. Jesus was incredibly, he was a very observant person. So, for example, when he was out walking and there were crowds and crowds of people around him wanting to see him and jostling him, and he, he recognized that someone had touched the hem of his cloak, and he turned to find out who it was. Or there was another occasion where he's walking along the road, and a blind man calls out, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus, again, with all the hustle and the bustle going on, turns around and sees the man and invites him to come. So Jesus was very observant. There's another occasion where Jesus goes into the temple. Mark 11, 11, and Mark says this, He looked around at everything. So Jesus went into the temple. Now, Jesus was a peacemaker. Jesus went into the temple, and he looked around at everything. So he watched what was going on, all those 
tables that were there and he heard the clink of the money and the coins and he heard the bleating of the sheep and he heard the hustle and the bustle of the buying and selling that was going on. He watched it. He looked around at everything and he observed it all. And he said nothing that we know of and he did nothing. And then it says he went to Bethany, which is two miles away from Jerusalem. So he probably walked there. So it would have taken him you know, maybe three quarters of an hour, a bit of thinking time perhaps, I don't know. And what he saw in the temple he didn't like made him angry. He didn't like it at all because he knew that the temple was meant to be a house of prayer for all nations. But anyway, he went to Bethany, slept. Next day, again, walked maybe 45 minutes, I don't know, a couple of miles. And he walked back to the temple. And this time, he gave a very considered response. He overturned it. He, he made a cord of whip, and he started to thrash them and chase them out of the temple and overturn the tables and the money changers. He was angry. But his anger was considered anger. It wasn't just flying off the handle. He thought about it. He slept on it. He was still a peacemaker. How much trouble, I wonder, has been stirred up because we haven't slept on something? Because we've just had a snap reaction and we've said something or we've done something and it's just too late. It's out and we can't bring it back. Jesus was very considered in the things that he did and what he said. So peacemaking does not mean not facing situations. It does not mean anything for a quiet life. Jesus further said, he said this, he said, if you have got something against someone, don't send them a text message. Don't write them a stinking email. Go and speak to them face to face. I'm amplifying what he said, but had he lived today, he may well have said that. I don't know. But he certainly said, if you've got something against someone, go and speak to them face to face. So we, it, being a peacemaker does not mean that you don't face situations. You face them. But peacemaking tries to build bridges to people. It doesn't want the animosity to remain. It wants reconciliation. That's what God wanted. Reconciliation. He didn't want animosity between us and him. That's why he sent his beloved son to die in our place. Because he wanted us to come into a place of peace with him. God is the ultimate peacemaker. And he desires that we be peacemakers on his behalf. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, Isaiah writes, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. And that's part of our calling, isn't it? To bring that peace to others. Having said that, it won't always be appreciated. See, in the Old Testament, for example, there was a very wicked king. He was more wicked than any other kings before him, and his name was Ahab. And God said to the prophet Elijah, go and say to Ahab, there's going to be a drought because I've I've promised that if you don't do what I'm asking you to do, if you don't obey the things in the covenant, I've given you time to change your ways, I'm going to bring a drought on the land. So Elijah goes and tells him that, and there's a drought in the last three years. And then the Lord tells Elijah to go back to Ahab and say, okay, the drought's going to end now. So Elijah goes back, and it's very interesting what Ahab says to him. Now, Elijah's only just fulfilling what God has asked him to do. He's a good guy. Ahab says this, so there you are, the worst troublemaker in Israel. So our peacemaking may not always be appreciated. Sometimes, though, it may mean putting up with a wrong rather than standing on your rights. I guess we all feel we've got rights. 
I think we live in a very rights-driven society. I think you know, a lot of it, I would say, has probably come over from the Atlantic somewhere. And uh, like Black Friday and other things, you know, they've come over here from America. And, uh, you know, the, the whole business of suing people, it seems to be coming epidemic in our own country now. But anyway, because we stand on our rights. I'm not saying we shouldn't have rights. People have fought long and hard to have rights. But interesting that in the Old Testament, the Lord says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a land. So I want you to move from where you are now into this other land. And I'm going to bless you there. And as you journey, you're going to be blessed. So Abraham does as he's told, and he takes along with him his nephew, Lot. So off they go together, and as they go together, things are fine. They prosper, their herds, their flocks increase. They have to have more employees and all this kind of stuff. And they get to the land. And then Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen start to quarrel. Now at that point, Abraham could well have stood on his rights. He could have said, actually, Lot, you've had your Lot. Because you've been blessed because of me. Because God said he'd bless me. And it's overspilled onto you. And by the way, God said the land would be mine. Not yours. So can you just, you know, move somewhere else? He could have stood on his rights, but he didn't. He was a peacemaker. What did he say? He said this. I'll tell you what, Lot. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. He didn't stand on his rights, but he was a peacemaker. And the Bible talks about overcoming evil with good. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. As far as it depends upon you. Some people you may live with, they may not want to live in peace with you, however hard you may try. But that's not the point. The point is this. We are to seek to live at peace with all people as much as it depends upon us. Peace, by the way, it's not simply freedom from trouble. It's not simply a quiet life. Peace is more than that. Peace is the enjoyment of that which is good. It's the enjoyment of that which is good. For example, when we live together in unity as the church, it's great. It's pleasant. It's enjoyable. When there's peace in our family, it's good. It's pleasant. It's enjoyable. When there's peace in our marriage, it's good. It's pleasant. It's enjoyable. These things promote a healthy environment. You know, one of the great difficulties that people face today is stress. You know, because we live in a stressful environment. We're all busy. Retired people seem to be busier than anybody. Spoke to someone this morning that said they're just retired. And I said, well, you're going to be very busy then, aren't you? You know, we live in a stressful environment. We live at a fast pace. Peace helps produce a healthy environment. It impacts our sense of security and well-being. But it doesn't happen automatically. We have to work at it. We have to become less self-centered and more concerned for the welfare of others. You know, sometimes, did you know you can pray dangerous prayers? They can be very dangerous. You know, some, sometimes people say, well, Christianity, you know, it's a crutch type thing. You know, you, you can't survive without. But it's just true. I can't survive without God, and I'm happy to say that. However, it's also dangerous to be a Christian. Because you can pray some things, and God may well answer. So, for example, I don't know what, well, I do know what prompted me. 
to pray this prayer. See, in my life, I feel, you know, God has blessed me in many ways, and I'm very grateful to all that Jesus has done in my life. And I try and remember to say thank you. So I'm grateful for my family, you know, both young and old and all in between. They're a blessing to me. I'm grateful for the family of the church, the encouragement that I see from them. I'm grateful for my family and the faith uh, in Nepal. They're a blessing to me. They encourage me as well. I'm grateful for the gifts and the abilities that the Lord has given me. I may not be the best at anything in the world, but nevertheless, I recognize that God has given me some abilities that I'm grateful for. I'm grateful to the Lord for the opportunities that he's given me in my life. So many. I'm grateful for the financial provision. I'm grateful for the country I live in. I'm grateful for so many things. I want to say thank you, Jesus. But also, and this is where I get on to what I've been praying, but also I do say to the Lord, Lord, help me not to be selfish with what you give me. You give me so much. You know, your blessing just is poured into my life. It's overflows, let alone your forgiveness, your salvation, the Holy Spirit, your endless patience with me. Thank you so much, but help me not to be selfish. Help me to be, and this might just be a tiny prayer, help me to be less self-centered. Help me to be less self-centered. I haven't even got to the, help me to be exceedingly, abundantly, uh, superbly generous with everything that I have. I haven't got there yet. All right? But I've got to help me to be less self-centered. I have to say the Lord has answered that very quickly. He's given me lots of opportunities where I've had to set aside what I want to do, my own agenda, my own thinking, my own plans in order to be less self-centered and hopefully to be a blessing to others. So we can't be a peacemaker, I would suggest, unless we become less self-centered. But actually, when we see others blessed, it blesses us as well, doesn't it? Psalm 34 says this, Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So it doesn't come naturally. Seek peace and pursue it. You know, we saw on Black Friday people pursuing things, didn't we? I mean, I walked into town on Friday. It was pretty manic. It was heaving with people. Why? Because they were pursuing something. They were seeking something. And if they weren't out in the town doing it, they were at home on their laptop or on their mobile phone or whatever it was or their tablet seeking something. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and see if you were one of those, but I expect there might have been a few. You were seeking something. You were seeking a bargain. You were pursuing something. Well, the psalmist here tells us to seek peace and pursue it. It doesn't happen by accident. And it has to be maintained. And in that, our words can be so powerful as we saw. A gentle answer, the Bible says, turns away, uh, quiets anger. A gentle answer quiets anger, but a harsh one stirs it up. So finally, just to come to an end, you know, it'd be great to be peacemakers. We'll reflect the character of God as we do. But there are obstacles to that. And the obstacles are the natural state of the human heart. However, there is an answer. And the answer is this. Jesus comes in order to take our sin upon us and to give us new life, new birth, new creation which he's already started. It may not be perfect yet, and yet it's begun. And we are to nurture the new creation that God has put within us in order to reveal his character, his nature into the world. 
So we need to, first of all, receive the peace of God for ourselves. And as we do, we can then give it out. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Well, certainly it means measuring our response as Jesus did. He did get angry, but it was a very considered and measured response that he made. It's to seek the good of others and to be less self-centered. I wonder where you are on your journey. Have you, like Daryl and me, committed yourself to Jesus, to following him? Maybe you have. Maybe your experience was very different from mine. Maybe you're what I would call a slow burner. I wasn't a slow burner. I'm a slow burner now, but I wasn't to start with. No, but what God has begun within you, he wants to continue. And part of the calling on your life is to be that peacemaker. But first of all, you have to know the peace of God in your own heart yourself. Maybe you don't yet know what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe you don't yet know what it means to have the Spirit of God come into the very core of your life and change you in such a dramatic way that you see the world totally differently. You think differently. You act differently. Your whole worldview is changed. Something radical has happened within you. Well, I just want to give us both an opportunity. Perhaps you've already committed your life to Christ and are seeking to follow him. Well, I want to pray with you. Perhaps you haven't yet done that. I want to pray with you. So can we just pray? And I might just ask you, could you please just stand if you're able? And I'll pray <clears throat> to finish the meeting. Or John's going to finish it later, but here we go. <clears throat> Father, I pray for those, first of all, who've committed their lives to Christ like me. And we realize that we're, we're on a journey. We realize, Father, our imperfections, <clears throat> which are many. And yet you love us. You've forgiven us. We're empowered by your spirit. We recognize that. We're given your grace. We're given your kindness, Jesus. And, and we want to thank you for the many blessings that you've poured upon us. And I ask, Father, for us who've already committed ourselves to you, I ask in Jesus' name that you would help us to be less self-centered. You would help us to look to the needs of others and to be a blessing to them. And I ask that in the name of Jesus. And for those who don't yet know you, Father, maybe they're just like Daryl, I don't know. Daryl was angry. I wasn't angry, but I was mystified. I didn't know where I was going. I thought I did, but I didn't really. Father, I pray for, for those who are in that similar situation. Lord, I pray in Jesus' mighty name that the Holy Spirit will come and do that which I can never do, and that's reveal the truth of who you are. And I ask for that in the name of Jesus. Amen.